Um, I don't know if you can tell. I can tell. I have a broken foot, so it, it's the second time. Why stop at one? Um, and maybe that kind of is what kind of uh, pushed me towards sharing what I want to share tonight. Uh, because from time to time, by the way, my name's Mark. Uh, from time to time, for me personally, and I think it's true for you, I, uh, I wrestle with hopelessness. Not always my own. Sometimes it's the hopelessness of people that I care for, that God's included in my life. But from time to time, uh, I think I, I wrestle with hopelessness. And I, I think it was made known to me again when I broke my foot the second time. I was helping out a friend a couple, three weeks ago. And uh, again, you can finish the sentence, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> and so I was helping him work at this house he, he bought. And I was just, my bad, I just wasn't paying attention. Stepped off a step, rolled my ankle real hard. And you know, that happens to all of us, but normally you kind of walk it off. I tried, it wasn't gonna walk off that day. And so I went to my doctor and he had me have an x-ray and and so when he called up after the x-ray, he said, you know, it's, it's broken. And so I thought, I just had that, that rainy day feeling, you know, that because this has happened before. This is the second time I broke it. Broke it about two and a half years ago, stepping off of a step. There's a theme <laughs> happening in my life. There's 26 bones in your feet. I've broken a couple now, different ones. So I got about 20 more, 24 more incidents like this coming up, I think. Hopefully not. Hopefully I'll die before that happens, but... <laughs> But anyway, I remember when he said that, I don't know if he picked up on it or not, but I just had this like wave that just went over the top of me. That's not a big thing. I mean, people have big things happen. This is not a big thing. I don't even have to have a cast. Six weeks and I'm up and maybe walking again, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, there was just this feeling. I, it surprised me, actually. I started to kind of fight off this like, ah. Oh. Oh, there's, no, there's, no, there's no changing this. There's no undoing this. And it was just accompanied with this kind of a random, weird sense of hopelessness, you know? And so um, I want to talk about that tonight because I don't think I'm the only guy that wrestles with hopelessness. I think we all wrestle with hopelessness. Sometimes it's, it's small, manageable. Sometimes it's gigantic, and it can leaven your whole life, particularly when it's big-time hopelessness. And so, uh, I, again, I, I just want to make that kind of what I want to share about tonight. So um, I know it's kind of a bummer topic, isn't it? But it's real, and I, and I, and I want real. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive into this. So Jesus, um, so appreciate the things that uh, I've been able to think through a little bit, at least, and some ideas to share, and I have your word, and and yet even as Matt prayed, Lord, my ability to communicate to the head is one thing, but to the heart's another thing completely. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would take these thoughts, these words, Lord, in your word, and that you would drop them down that extra 14 inches, which makes all the difference in the world, because that's when our lives change. And so, Lord, as we look into your word, may your word look into us. May it study us. May it have its way tonight in each of our lives, Lord, because we're all living out these, these themes, Lord, all of us to some level. In Jesus' name, amen. So sometimes hopelessness uh, comes from things that we create. 
we create our own dilemmas. And uh, one of the ones that, I, for whatever reason, stuck out to me that I just want to share with you tonight, because it's just this crazy, stupid story, is um, the month we got, I got married, and my wife and I got married in March of 1979. Whoo, that was close. Oh, <laughs> I got the March part. 79, right. And we went on a honeymoon. We got married in California, where she's from, at a, a church in her town. So we had a lot of friends in Grants Pass that weren't able to attend the wedding. So we had a reception up here two weeks after our wedding. We were married March 3rd, so our reception was March 17th, 1979. We'd come back from our honeymoon. All these people coming to our wedding reception that couldn't go to the wedding. We were going to Hamilton House. Remember the old Hamilton House restaurant? And uh, that morning, I don't know, the, probably the, the reception was probably at, I don't know, one or two o'clock. And I just got this great idea that on... That, that day, earlier before the reception, got too close, that I would take my new sister-in-law on a Jeep ride um, and two of her cousins. So there was four of us. We loaded into, we got ready to load into my mom's 1974 Jeep. And I've always liked to run around my mom's cars and motorcycles. So you know, taking, just anyway. So here's what happens. Wisdom would have dictated that I take and put the back seat in the... We just had two bucket seats and then nothing in the back, just the wheel wells. So I should have, should have done was um, put, a, put the seat in and then you know, hook the seat belts through and it would have... I didn't do that. So we had two of us in the front and then two, then two of them were in, on the wheel wells facing each other, unbuckled. Just, we're just going to go for a Jeep ride, which isn't a big thing. Top was off. It was, it was nice enough weather and... And so anyway, my mom says, last minute, I said, mom, I want to take, take these gals out for a Jeep ride. Okay, okay. Whatever you do, she says, don't go to the terraces. <laughs> the terraces. Yeah, the terraces. Why would I want to go there? The terraces were, that's what we called them anyway. They were behind South Middle School. There's houses up there now, but for years and years and years, they were just these, this big granite hill that they prepared to build homes on, but they never built a home. So they smoothed it out and they, they leveled it and then had a hill and they leveled it. So if you had a Jeep or motorcycles, I mean, that's where you went. That was one of the places just easy to get to. And, and the top two were the, the best two, kind of. So <laughs> I don't know where I would have gone, <clears throat> but human nature being what it is, when she said the terraces, I thought, yeah, that's gotta be from, from heaven above. <laughs> And I don't know if I told her I wasn't going to go, but that's where I went. So we get to the terraces. It takes, takes a couple minutes from my old house, and we start heading up there. And I've done them a zillion times, motorcycles, Jeeps. And so um, we're doing great, like you'd expect. Probably sh- should have done the seatbelt thing in the back. But um, <laughs> anyway, so you got the last two. You get to the last two, and we're going great. And the last two are the best, best two because they've got a... A nice flat runoff, and they're, and they're not real tall. You've got maybe a, a 20-foot rise. So they make just a perfect jump. Perfect jump. You know where this is going, don't you? Yeah. So hadn't, hadn't driven that Jeep in a while, evidently. So I got, got going a little. I got going. I remember heading up that first one, smooth. And you're just going to jump the Jeep a little bit, just a little bit. And I was going too I realized at the last moment I was going too fast. 
And so you have two choices. You just go too fast off the thing and it's just gonna be whatever it's gonna be. Or you can do what I did, which is the stupid thing to do, is I just tap, just tap my brakes at the last moment. And so instead of, instead of jumping like this, it just kind of threw everything off. So it, it kind of jacked the Jeep up, so to speak. And I, and I landed like this really hard. I'm just hard and I was buckled in in the bucket seat. I was like, oh, that was a bone tear. And I, and I just had that next moment of like, oh man, there's just them, those two girls on a roll bar. And I thought, and I heard kind of a, I heard something didn't sound good anyway. So I just kind of rolled, barely rolled up the top, the, the last one real gentle and got out and my sister-in-law, Lori, was hurt. The other cousin was okay. That was back there, the front cousin, great. But Lori was, was hurt. And uh, at that point, she was the only unmarried daughter. Katie and my wife and her older sister were married. Lori was in the middle, hadn't gotten married yet. Um, and so I didn't help her that day. Anyway, put it this way. So uh, I said, okay, okay, Lori, she had her mouth, she had her hand whoops, like this over her mouth like that. And there's a little bit of blood right there. And I thought, Okay, she cut her cut her lip probably. So I said, Lord, let me let me let me look. Let me so I just take her hand off. A little more blood than I expected. But there was no front tooth. It was gone. She had great teeth up to that point. <laughs> and so and and and, it's, and I guess where I'm going is that that feeling of like self-induced hopelessness. This is self-inflicted. I'm on the terraces where my mom, the only place my mom told me not to go, I'm up there, and my new sister-in-law's middle tooth is gone, and blood and lips starting to swell. Well, it ended up that the tooth was in her lip. I didn't know that. So she had to, we got hold of our doctor, and they dug it out and stowed her up, and, and she came to the reception later on looking like you bangy woman, you know, just like, <laughs> just like, and my mom... <laughs> We don't even go there. I mean, it was, she just cannot believe that I would do that. I did it. It's self-induced hopelessness. We do that. We make stupid decisions. I'm not alone. We've all done it. And we're, guess what? Probably going to do it again. I mean, not the Jeep thing. No more. No. But, but we're going to do it again. So sometimes hopelessness comes from situations we create. I call it self-inflicted. Uh, it can be... Um, Poor financial decisions that you make that, that you could have done better at, that inflicts financial hopelessness. It can be moral failure, self-inflicted. Didn't have to do that, but you did. Leads to hopelessness, big time. Again, even Jeep rides, crazy old fun Jeep rides can lead to hopelessness. And sometimes hopelessness comes from situations that are outside of us. We didn't have a lot to do with them. We just happened to be a spectator really. And it happened to us or it happens to somebody we love. Back in, um, it, again, 1977, when my wife and I were traveling in a singing group, we, uh, we, it's called Up With People. It's, anyway, it's, it's just this group that we're in. That's where we met. And we were in a big cast of Up With People. Um, and we were, we just, it was, uh, it was September 18th, 1977. And we had just done the halftime show at a big football game at Baltimore Colts, Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks lost, of course. Um, in the old kingdom, remember that's gone now, but it was years and years ago. We did the halftime show, she and I and about 100 other young folks. And um, 
so we had this great event happen. You know, it was just fun. That afternoon, we had some more fun planned. Uh, one of our, we, we stayed in host families when we traveled, and our, our host family said, hey, you have this big sailboat. You want to take some of us sailing? I'd never been sailing. And so he had it docked there in, in Everett, and he was going to take us out in Puget Sound. So we'd had this big show thing. It was fun doing this halftime. And then we, uh, we, we got, there's three couples, three couples, my wife and I and two other couples and some of his family. We got down to the boat that afternoon, late afternoon, actually. The weather's kind of poo-poo. And, and he says, oh, you know, there's no wind. And uh, I don't know if we want to try to take this thing out. And he says, well, but we're all here. Let's, uh, he just starts up his motor. He just motors out the Puget Sound, and, which isn't what we wanted. We were hoping to have a sail experience. And and uh, we, we kind of motored out to this island way out there somewhere, and, and I'm with my, my wife, or no, well, not my wife then, but my wife-to-be, and just having a great time. And the wind picks up. It's like, it's a miracle, you know? It's awesome. The wind starts to really blow, and the kind of misty rain kind of stops. It starts just kind of being good sailing weather. And so we have to get back to Everett. It's getting dark. And so we're sailing now, and it's really fun, and it's like my first time in a sailboat. And... Uh, it's just so awesome if you've ever done something like that. It's so cool. And uh, we were maybe halfway from that island to Everett. Lights of the city, gorgeous, perfect, romantic. It was awesome. <laughs> and then it happened. And I didn't know what it was. But what we did was we ran over a log. Because when it's getting dark and the wind's whipping up the water, you, you can't see that stuff very easily. So they're just they're just submerge and you just so the sailboat goes over this log big pretty big sailboat but when that happened i my mind went to okay you're gonna laugh at this okay i'll tell you honestly i don't know what it is i haven't a clue what it is i don't know that we're gonna run i, I can't think that we're gonna run i thought it was submarine that's the first place <laughs> i don't know why because i know there's submarines that kind of run, roll around in puget sound and they go to like bremerton and my mind just goes submarine submarines coming up under us it's a sub. We're dead. We are so dead. We're so dead because that's got to be like the beginnings of something really bad, which that would be really bad, by the way. It was a log. And when we figured that out, it was fine. It was fine. But it was, we were stuck. We had to, we had, the boat was called the wishbone. <laughs> I wish. Anyway, so the old wishbone was towed back by a fishing boat finally called the Christian S. I remember that. The Christian S. Thank you. And, uh, but th- that was, there was that moment of, for me, absolute, we're going down, Titanic, all that, subs coming up. I know we hadn't hit an iceberg because there weren't any of those, but it might as well have been. And it's over. This thing is going down, lights out. See you later. Um, it was just that I hadn't done anything. I was just along for the ride. It was just this hopelessness that comes from somebody else's experience. And I was just living it out. It's part of it. So sometimes hopelessness comes from outside of us. It's when you get the diagnosis from the doctor, cancer, Parkinson's, MS, dementia, whatever. It's, it's what comes when we are dealing with the loss of a relationship. It just happens to us. We're not the principal players, but it affects us. It's dealing with chronic pain, the hopelessness of that. You don't sign up for that and do anything to create that, but you have to deal with it. It's watching your children or your grandchildren flounder in life. Just beats you up. And that's the world we live in. I wish it wasn't that way. But that's the world you live in. That's the world I live in. It's where you've been. It's where you're going. 
And you have to have a plan, I think. If you have a plan in mind, how do I deal? How do I bring hope into hopelessness? I think we'll all do so much better. So that's what, again, what I want to talk about tonight. We all struggle with hopelessness. I do, you do. So the good news is this, that we're not the first people to struggle with hopelessness. There are people in the Bible who struggle with hopelessness too. Jesus' disciples struggled with hopelessness. So let's look at a text really quick where they were really in a struggle with hopelessness. Turn to Mark chapter 4, the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Obviously one of my favorite books. Um, Mark chapter 4. And let's read a story in the Bible where hopelessness was ruling the moment. Everyone have it? Mark 4, verse 35. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, he being Jesus, said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, was, but he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have, uh, how is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, what can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So for so a thing, just put yourself in their soggy sandals, if you would. Uh, no life preservers. I mean, at least we had life preservers. At least it, when the submarine would have blown us up, I might have been able to grab something, all right? But I had no life preservers. They're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's crazy, crazy storming. They don't know how to swim, probably. And if they did know how to swim, it wouldn't matter. There's no lifeboats. It just... This is lights out time. This is like a serious problem here. Even though some of them were fishermen and were used to being out in a boat, it wasn't, they didn't go out in weather like this. Nobody would. So that's, the, and Jesus is asleep. The only guy who might be able to do something is totally conked out. He's asleep on a pillow in the back of the boat. It's just the craziest circumstances. The boat's filling with water. They're going to die. And so, um, I think, I, think, I think we're like that. I think there's times where um, we've tried everything too. I mean, no doubt, before they actually woke him up, they had tried everything they could. I don't know what that was. You know, less sail, more sail, this, that. For us, you know, when we're in those kind of hopeless fixes and we don't know how to get out, we start, maybe before we even talk to Jesus or anything, we just start asking, okay, well, okay, what are we gonna do here? Damage control, okay, I'm gonna talk to some friends. I'm gonna talk to some friends. Talk to the expert, talk to the pastor, Talk to the doctor. Or I'm going to talk to anybody. I'm going to go online. That's the answer. I'll talk to Siri. She'll know. Siri knows everything. And you just start doing all this stuff because you're sensing the buildup of hopelessness. I think that's what they were doing. They'd done all that stuff. And we do too. We ponder, we ask, we poke around, we inevitably fret and lose sleep. And so often, at least for me, as a pastor even, the, the last resort seems to go to Jesus. I, I, I don't know if I want to go to Jesus. I mean, I might have to wake him up or something. At first, I guess I'm going to have to tell him what's going on, as if he doesn't know. 
you know, it's just the weirdest thing. I feel like I have to do due diligence sometimes. I got to do these other things. And then if I can't figure it out because God gave me a brain, then maybe I'll go to Jesus. And I think that's what they did too. I don't think they're any different than any of us. I think we all kind of do that. Last resort, we go to Jesus. And I think sometimes if we're honest, we think maybe it's just me. But maybe in the back of your head, because the hopelessness of the situation you're facing, you think, well, if I go to Jesus first, he may not fix me. He may not fix my diagnosis. He may not fix my pain. He may not fix my finances. He may not fix my marriage. He may not ultimately fix my hopelessness. So there's this like, it's a pretty big hopeless situation here. We're dying on this boat. He may not do the right thing for me. I think we all think about that. And, I, and you know what? You're right. He might not. Can I just say that? He might and he might not. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do. When we go to Jesus in our hopelessness and hope we go there sooner than later, I don't know what he's going to do. We don't. Sometimes he actually fixes our situation. You know that? He will. And some situations and hope, hopeless situations never get fixed because we never go to him because we spend so much time and energy, I guess, trying to figure it out or fix it ourselves, whatever. We have not because we what? We ask not. Sometimes we don't ask or we ask really late. I bet he just scratches his head and goes, oh, I was ready to do something, you know. So, but sometimes he'll actually step in and fix. That's what he did here. The Bible says in Mark 439, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Sometimes that's what he'll do. He will actually step into your hopelessness, whatever it is, or hopelessness of somebody that you love and that you're, you're hopeless because they're hopeless type thing. He'll step in and he'll fix it. He'll do that. He doesn't mind doing that. But sometimes, like I say, he just doesn't fix it. He's not going to fix it. Paul experienced that when he wrote Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Just listen. You don't need to look this up. But um, 2 Corinthians 4, this is what he says, 4, 16 through 18. Paul says this, therefore, because God wasn't fixing his difficult, if not hopeless situation, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing. That sounds hopeless, by the way. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look, this is the important part, while we do not look at the things which are seen, the hopelessness of the problem, but the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's what got Paul through some really, what we would call, and probably what he would agree with, hopeless, hopeless, difficult situations. The key was this. What are the things that are not seen that Paul's talking about? What's this not seen thing that he's dealing with that, that keeps him going in difficulty, giant problems, getting beat up? You've read the Bible. You've seen what Paul did and didn't do. He just... A tough life, super tough. So I, this is what I think. The things that, <clears throat> that, that Paul's talking about that's encouraging Paul to go through hopeless situations that we are, gonna, are all going to have to face, they're eternal. They're, they're unseen. It's what Jesus called 
in the parable that we looked at, the other side. What Paul's thinking about, this, this, uh, those things that are not seen that are eternal, is what Jesus talks about the very beginning of our parable. Remember when it starts out, it says, on the same day, this is what our Mark 4 said, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to what? The other side. I have a plan for you. We have a destination. We're going to get to the other side. Paul, that's where his focus is. It's what Jesus would call the other side. Eternally minded. Being eternally minded is, 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 is probably the most hopeful thing in hopeless situations. It's what got Paul through. The eternal. What's on the other side, folks? When this is all over for the believer, what's there? Heaven. It's the other side. Jesus said, this is where we're going. We're going to the other side. What happens in the process of getting there? Storms and craziness and hopelessness and crying out to Jesus and all these things happen. But ultimately, the destination was always intact. I'm going to get you to the other side. That's the big thing about life and the Christian life in particular that we, we forget sometimes. We get so caught up in the journey. We get so caught up in what's going on in us and around us that we forget big picture stuff, the eternal stuff that kept Paul going or what Jesus called the other side. It's, it's, I want to sit here and say it's all about heaven, but it's all about heaven. It's all about heaven. And I think what we want to do is we want to take our life and we want to kind of say, okay, we're in this boat called life and we want to, our life should really kind of be like a cruise ship. <laughs> And we're, we're going to try to make our life like a cruise ship life, not like the life that we see the disciples living out of craziness and crying out and storms and we're sinking. We don't want that. We want a bigger boat than that. In fact, we want good food. We just want cruise ship life and then a nice walk down the gangway into heaven. Nice little transition, maybe in my sleep. Boom. Done. Got her done cruise ship through this baby, that's the boat trip we want. But that's not the boat trip we get. You can work really hard to make that happen, and it's not going to happen. And you exhaust yourself making it happen. And be honest, you'll look like the rest of the world, because all they think they have is a cruise ship. They don't even know where this thing ends. And so the key to hopelessness is heaven. It's realizing that Jesus has called us to the other side, and that should be our focus. Not that you can't have joy in the journey. Not that there can't be incredible seasons of joy in the journey, because there can be. But ultimately, if we remember, it's all about getting there. <laughs> you can live with whatever happens here a lot easier. It's so true. And secondly, another thing that helps us so much, I think, and it's, it's so simple, but it's true, is that we have to remember that Jesus is in the boat. He may seem asleep, he may seem detached, he may seem unengaged with us in life, but he is in your boat. In 1 Timothy 1, I'll just read this one, this one verse, you don't have to go there, but 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul says this to Timothy in his introduction, 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God and our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. See, to Paul... Hope wasn't this thing out there. Hope was Jesus. Jesus was his hope. 
Jesus is supposed to be our hope. And Jesus is in the boat. If you're a believer, he's in the boat. Again, he may seem a little tired or whatever. You know, he may seem detached, but he's not. He's very interested in what's going on. He's keenly aware of your life. He never stops thinking about you. You know that? Jesus never stops thinking about you. There's never a moment that you breathe in this life that he is not thinking about you. That's the, the Bible describes that as his thoughts are like the sands of the seashore. That's just a way of saying he never stops thinking about you. He's totally engaged in your life, wants to be. And the only way I could compare this hope that's supposed to be Jesus that should bring us hope in our crazy times is it's a little bit like when you're sick and we're all the kiddos, little kids growing up, we're sick, flu, feeling lousy, staying home from school, which is good. And, and you're just sick of being sick. And guess who walks in the door? Your mom. Your mom walks in the door. At least when my mom walked in the door. That's all I wanted. I knew I wasn't going to get unsicked. I just, had to, I just had to ride the storm out. I'm sick. I'm even a little kid. I'm, I'm going to be sick for a while. I know that. I'm a kid, but I know that. I don't need to be unsicked. I just need my, my mom because she's my hope. I feel better when she's in the room. I don't know why, but just her thereness brought me hope. It made it better. She couldn't do anything for me, really. She couldn't unsick me, but she was my mom. And when my mom walked in, it was good, man. It would, whatever bad was better. because of mom. That's Jesus. And to some of you, you know that Jesus. You know that Jesus. Just knowing him is comfort. Knowing him. Some of you are going, man, that is such a foreign concept to me. That Jesus is our hope. Not what he can do for us, that he is our hope. Just him, his person. And that's the Jesus I want to get to know better. And I want you to get to know better. And I can't make that happen for you, and you can't make that happen for me. But when we, when, we, when we learn to trust him and love him like we would a mom, for example, or a dad, then he becomes our hope, and it's a beautiful thing. Not what he can do for us, although he can do things for us, no doubt. It's who he is that makes the difference. And again, some of you go, I know that Jesus. Some of you go, I'm getting to know that Jesus. Some of you are going, don't know what you're talking about, bro. But it's true. That's how Jesus wants to be. He wants to be seen as, for each of us, our hope, our great hope. So what does this mean for us tonight? You might feel um, maybe... Right now in your life, you're going through a season that's just called awesome. And I'm talking about stuff that you're not experiencing today. And that's awesome if you are. I hope you're having a great season in life. And there's not anything that's like overwhelming, hopeless in your life. But I can say this for sure. Tomorrow could be different. Tomorrow's another day. You just have no idea. You know, I started this day off pretty good. (laughs) It ended a little bit less good. And so you just never know. So listen, I hope you're having a great season in your life. You're not wrestling with big, stormy stuff. But um, it could be, it could happen tomorrow. But maybe tonight, 
your boat is about ready to sink. <laughs> Just about ready to sink. You've got more water in that boat than you know what to do with. And maybe it's self-induced. Maybe you blew it. Maybe you're just, you're, the water's in your boat because somebody you know is sinking. It happens a lot. People you love and care for. And you're just barely hanging on. I don't know where you're at. But here's what you can do. Either way. Tonight, if you want to, you have the chance to recommit yourself to focusing a little bit more than maybe when you walked in to what I call the other side. <laughs> you can leave here by choice more focused on eternity than perhaps when you walked in because to me, that's number one, is that you've got to be other side oriented because if you're trying to squeeze something out of this life that this life cannot provide, you will be bummed out, depressed, hopeless. It's about heaven, folks. It's about the other side. And so I'm hoping that what you're going to do is take these simple words tonight and just say, you know what? I, I'm going to rethink some things. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use a crazy word, repristinate heaven again. I'm going to become a little more heaven-oriented. Not to a point you're of no earthly good, but that, but that you, you kind of know how this ends and, you, and you're willing to take a few more valleys because you're going to get them. You might be there tonight. I don't know. But the other side should be our focus. And just to close before communion, I just, as a pastor, you know, and I see this in my own life. I, I see us, not Edgewater so much, well, I guess Edgewater is, yeah, Edgewater, but we're not alone in this. It's true for all the body of Christ. We seem so hopeless. We seem like such a hopeless people so often. Not all the time. And I love when I see believers, you, many of you, just encouraging me in the way you deal with what looks to be hopeless situations. But so often I, I, I see believers, and I've been this person that really act, I think the world has more hope. I don't even know what they're hoping in. They don't have anything to hope in. I guess they're hoping in hope. That's all they have. They hope in hope. We don't hope in hope. We have an object of hope. It's Jesus Christ. It's heaven. It's he's in the boat. It's we're going to heaven. That's, that's real tangible stuff. But what if, what if we all became just a wee bit more hopeless? I can't promise that you're not going to have the storms. I have no way of controlling them in my life, let alone your life. But I could say this, that if we're all a little more heaven-oriented, willing to allow storms, knowing that Jesus has called us to the other side, and if we're a little more cognizant of that he's just in the boat with us, he's never going to leave us or what, forsake us. He knows our, he knows our frame, he understands our situation. He's for us. Yeah, he's allowing hard things to happen. Um, it, it, but what if we all just kind of grabbed onto that a little bit more? And in your circle of life, um, you displayed hope. Where you could display hopelessness. Where you chose hope. You chose him. You chose to recognize heaven again. I think it, it changes the marriage. I think it changes a home, family. I think 
the world scratches their head at us when we live and think like that, but that's okay. Actually, that's really okay. And I just think if, if we all just lean a little bit more into dealing well in hopelessness because it's a part of the package of life, I think it changes big things, not just you, big things. It creates a whole different culture. In a culture, we swim in a culture that is so hopeless. It's just so incredibly hopeless. In fact, the world seems to feed on hopelessness for some reason. But we should not. We should be different. We're called to be different. And so that's my prayer for you and for me. Pray for me, I'll pray for you, that we will be a people of hope because we have every reason to be. So Jesus, we thank you for being the God of all hope. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the amazing things that you do, that you never leave us or forsake us, and that you ride out the storms of life with us. And Jesus, we just pray tonight for those that are here, specifically, Lord, that are in the storm of their life, because they're here tonight. I know that. That they would recognize afresh, Lord, that you are for them and that you are with them and that you can be called upon to save. You are mighty to save. And that ultimately... The great goal is the other side. And again, Lord, for us that are doing better, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for seasons where hopelessness doesn't overwhelm us. And we just pray, God, that uh, without getting weird or worrisome, that we would be prepared in a good way when the season changes, when the wind changes, Lord, and it will for all of us. And hopelessness could consume us, that it won't. And so, Lord, help us in these things. Remind us through your spirit of these things. And, Lord, as we just take time now to take communion, it's that reminder, Lord, that you're in the boat with us, that um, you're all in, and you gave your life for us, Lord. And so that when we eat and drink of you tonight, may it remind us that the relationship you want with us is deep and personal and um, Solic and spiritual, Lord. It goes beyond the outside. It sinks into the inside of who we are. That's what communion can be tonight. So as we eat and drink of you, Lord, as we worship you in that way, um, may it be an amazing reminder of your very presence and your, and your stalwart love for us, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.